0: On the way to Canada, Eddie obtained a Canadian visa for me. Near the end of January 1947, he wrote to tell me the visa was on its way by surface mail and would reach The Hague in two months. I was then to present myself to the Canadian embassy in The Hague. I needed an additional travel document. I had only the identification card I'd obtained in Fronecker, so I went to the Dutch police and requested a document that would permit me to travel. They refused to give it to me. You're not Dutch, they explained. Then how can I travel, I demanded. I'm stateless, but I have a chance to go to Canada, and then you'll be rid of me. Whenever I'd applied for my extension of my visa, I'd been given the runaround. The police had conveyed clearly that I wasn't welcome. Now I flung at them. I'm not welcome here, so why don't you give me a chance to leave? Give me a travel document and I'll leave. You won't have to deal with me anymore. They wouldn't do it. They refused to do anything to help me. In March, I finally went to the foreign office in The Hague. I told the officials there, I'd like to get a document so I can leave the country. I don't want to stay here any longer. I'm disgusted with this country. I was blunt and brutally frank. You don't want me. I don't want you. So give me a travel document. Then I can go. About a week later, they sent me an identity certificate for use by aliens traveling from the Netherlands to other countries. In April, I presented myself at the Canadian Embassy. The prospective immigrants there were all women. War brides who wanted to join their husbands in Canada. I was the only man. Very few displaced people were immigrating so soon after the war. In fact, as odd as it sounds, Canada still had no Minister of Immigration, since the Immigration Branch was part of the Department of Mines and Resources. I spoke to the visa officer who told me that I needed to have a medical checkup. After the checkup, I went back to him and after examining the chart, he said, Everything is okay. He was about to stamp the visa in my travel document when he recalled, You have to buy a ticket before I can give you the visa. You need a boat or airplane ticket for Canada, then come back for the visa quickly headed to the KLM airline office and what source trouble I had there. No one would sell me a ticket. How come you won't sell me a ticket? I asked. I have a visa waiting for me. I also told Royal Dutch airline officials that I wanted to get out of the Netherlands, that they could get rid of me. That tactic often worked for some reason, and they sold me a ticket, which I paid for with the money I'd saved while I was with the American army. The ticket was very expensive. It cost about $1,000 for a one-way fare from Amsterdam to Montreal. The Canadian official then stamped the immigrant visa into my travel document. I was ready to go. Before going on to Canada, I intended to visit relatives in England. The British Embassy in the Hague granted me a temporary visa for the United Kingdom. At that time, overseas flights couldn't land in Montreal, so I first had to fly to New York. The American consulate in Amsterdam gave me the required transit permit. In my last few days in the Netherlands, I went to visit the balloons. On my last day, I visited Shoshana, who was then in Amsterdam. I said goodbye to the three people who had been closest to me in the Netherlands. On May 1st, 1947, I left Amsterdam and flew to London in a small plane. Even when I arrived in London, I had some difficulty. I was detained at Croydon Airport by the British police. My cousin was waiting for me while the police held me back for over an hour. I don't know why I was held, but perhaps it was because I was traveling on an unusual document, or maybe they were checking my identity against lists of war criminals. I had difficulty at every stop because of my irregular document. Fundamentally, the problem was that I'd been born in Germany. This hampered me during the war. I could never admit to my birthplace. And now, even after the war, it was still tripping me up. I was finally allowed through to see my relatives, whom I hadn't seen since 1937 when they had left their home in Dortmund, Germany. A few days later, I continued on my way. I took the train from Euston Railway Station in London to Glasgow, Scotland. From Glasgow, I went by bus to Prestwick, where the flights for New York took off. On May 6th, I flew from Prestwick to Iceland, from Iceland to Newfoundland, and from Newfoundland to New York. When I landed in New York, I was led aside. There was an outbreak of a disease of some sort in London, and since I'd come through there, I had to be inoculated. I was hurried away to be given a needle. My brother stood waiting, bewildered, when I didn't walk out. Then I had to pass through customs. I wasn't carrying much baggage, but I had to line up like everyone else. Eddie saw me then. He sneaked in between the customs inspectors and came to my side. He was so unbelievably happy. An emotional moment, seeing him again. I hadn't seen him for nine long years, not since 1938. He looked well, much better than I did. I had been on the road from London for about two days and I hadn't shaved. Eddie took me to a barber shop for a shave and a haircut. Then we boarded a plane to Montreal. We arrived in Montreal and my travel document was stamped, Landed Immigrant, Montreal Dorval Airport, May 7th, 1947.